Our passage this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 8. This is the second friend that will lift up his voice in supposed intention to comfort and to mourn with Job. We've already seen Eliphaz speak and to imply seriously that Job's trials and Job's tribulations are due to a heart that is bound up in hypocrisy. That what God is doing is chastising Job. Uh, That what God is doing is exposing Job's real nature and heart. And that Job's only recourse is to repent. Uh, Job answered that, and we saw in the last two passages in chapter 6. And uh, chapter 6 was an answer to his friends and the the position of Eliphaz. Uh, Then his plea unto God. Uh, Job is maintaining the integrity uh, of his heart. He, it's not to say that Job views himself as sinless. He does not. He participates in uh, the uh, sacrifices, the, uh, the seeking of the pardoning of his transgressions, as we saw last time in chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. Uh, it is not that Job uh, views himself as, as holy and righteous without any sort of of blame, but that he is unaware of anything in his behavior that lacked that integrity of faith and repentance that would call down such sufferings. To this, Bildad will respond. It's important to remember, and, and I'm going to say this before we look at Bildad in any sort of com- completion, that the, the drama that is behind the drama is that Satan is saying to the Lord that Job only loves the Lord because he prospers in the Lord. And Satan's intent is not to to make Job sin, but to ruin Job's faith. To have him view God not just as one acting against him, but as one not worthy to be trusted. Uh, When James calls us to look upon the perseverance and the patience of Job, It's not because Job was patient with a calm and collected heart in a very stoic and apathetic way, but that regardless of the pains, regardless of the misery, regardless of the weight of his sorrow and and undoneness, that Job nevertheless looked to God for his good, that he would not let God go until he blessed him, that he wrestled with God. He felt that he was not being treated according to justice, but he wasn't willing to call God unjust. Uh, That he persevered in trying to find his good with the Lord. Uh, Early on, and primarily, he envisions that good to be nothing else than to be relieved of the burdens of this life. Uh, But nevertheless, he's not taking it upon himself to do that, He's not cursing God and dying as as counseled by his wife. Uh, He is seeking his relief from his only hope, the Lord. And that teaches us sometimes about our perseverance. But let's look at Bildad. Because there's not... Job is not the only one who perseveres. Job is not the only one who is very persistent in the book of Job. And so before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer, that we would read it with understanding 
and that the Holy Spirit would bless his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Christ Jesus, and we come to the book of Job, and as you inspired these words by your Holy Spirit for our infallible instruction, so we ask that you give us the same Spirit, that this word might go go forth from you not void but productive, that it would bear fruit in our lives. We ask that your Spirit would prepare our hearts to receive it. We ask that your Spirit would accompany the preaching of your word, that it might be properly uh, brought to bear upon our lives. And we ask that Christ would be magnified in all things, and that we would fade. We ask that your word would produce the fruit of repentance and faith in Christ and that it would cause us to grow forth as obedient children uh, of your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word in Job chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. Then answered Bildad the Shuite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty to pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he has cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldst seek unto God betimes and make thy supplications to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now would he take surely now would he awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should be greatly increased. For inquire, I pray thee of the former age, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. Uh, For we are but yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon earth are a shadow. Shall not they teach thee, and tell thee, and utter words out of their heart? Can the rush grow up without mire, and can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in his greenness, and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish." whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be as a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. He is green before the sun, and his branch shooteth forth in his garden. His roots are wrapped about the heap, and seeth the place of stones. If he destroy him from his place, though, then it shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. The old God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he out the evildoer, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Here we see that the Assault on your faith and integrity, just as the assault on uh, Job's integrity or his conscience and his faith, uh, will be relentless. Because this is, we forget, we think that because we do not see any further the picture of heaven and the courts of heaven, that the scene of the drama has moved from Satan and God to just Job and his friends, and that the former was prologue and is no longer relevant. Understand that what we have here is Satan pursuing his policy of attacking Job and, and trying to 
winnow away his resistance to, uh, or winnow away his trust in uh, the Lord God, to shake his faith. And the, the plan that the evil one has here is to shake his faith in his own integrity, so that not only can he not trust God, he can't even trust himself. And therefore would, as, as, uh, say, uh, as Job's well-meaning but, but misinformed wife, would therefore fulfill Satan's desire that he would curse God and die. Uh, Job's friends were there to counsel him. They were there as men of great wisdom. They were there as those that were willing to mourn with him. Remember, they sit with him for a week. Uh, in silence, and uh, that's not uh, not typical, but it is also uh, very compassionate. They have their ideas about Job, but they're not going to rush in and, and start preaching at him. But it is evident, once he begins the, the talk, that, that they are not listening to him. One of the things that Job had asked Eliphaz to do, we see this, well, not just Eliphaz, his friends, but Eliphaz is the one he's responding to. In chapter 6, verses 28 through 30, he says, Now therefore be content, look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you, let it not be iniquity, yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. If there is any iniquity in my tongue, cannot my taste discern these things? Uh, Job is pleading for uh, his friends to treat him as friends. A friend, to, to listen to him, to uh, hear what he's saying. And they, are, uh, they have this idea that, that if you're suffering, it's because of God's judgment. Either as judging against the, the hypocrite and the vile person to bring him to ruin, or either as a chastisement for his saints to bring them to repentance. For it to remember, neither of those two things are wrong. God does punish people as hypocrites. He does delight in overthrowing the self-righteous in their own self-righteousness. And He does chastise His children. Remember the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12. Uh, he chastises you because He loves you. You're not some illegitimate child that He is connected to spoil because He has no interest in your future. Uh, you are one of His, and so He will discipline you. And that's part of the love of God, that we are disciplined by the Lord. But that is not exhaustive of the way that God uses suffering and even evil in our lives to, to reflect His own glory, and even to your and my own good. That there are other ways that we suffer, even to the glory of Christ, and even for the good of our soul. Uh, this is something that is beyond Job's friends, and, and they refuse to even ponder and consider it. It is also, we should remark, beyond Job. Job is probably existed sometime in that period where Israel was in Egypt. Uh, in other words, pre-Mosaic times, but, but post-Patriarch, because several of these people, Bildad the Shuite is a descendant of Shua, uh, the daughter of Keturah, the um, uh, concubine of Abraham. Uh, we don't know how much, but we, we can put them in time post-Abraham. Uh, and it doesn't appear that they deal with the Hebrews in any sort of real way. So uh, this is a time of 
of tradition, we see Bildad himself in chapter verses 8, 9, and 10. Uh, they don't have the, the solid revelation of the Lord. They, 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 they rely upon the history of their fathers. Uh, verse 8, inquire, do research, and, and to their, the fathers shall they not teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart. And so what he says in verses 11 and following comes out of that tradition, and it is a good tradition and a sound tradition. And Job himself, we have seen, doesn't have a firm grasp of what he hopes and what he believes is possible with the Lord. Uh, while he knows that there's no coming back to this life, he's uncertain about what is possible after the grave. Although this suffering, and one of the good things that we see in the fruitfulness, we have one of the clearest expressions of the hope of the resurrection in the book of Job in the Old Testament. Chapter 19, verses 25, 26, and 27. I know that when this flesh is in the grave and worms have eaten my body, I shall see my Redeemer in the flesh with my own eyes. But suffering brings him to that. His desperation brings him to that. And, and while it is certain, something he certainly hopes and knows, it's not something he has the promise of Almighty God under where we have, in a very different situation, that promise and also the demonstration and the ratification of that promise and how God's mercy and His justice can come together as they do in the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world upon the cross. These are things that, that are at play here. But one of the things I want us to see is just how much patience and perseverance your faith and your understanding of your, your idea that you are at peace with God can be tried in this world and will be tried. Because this is what we're seeing here, is Bildad doubling down on his accusation. Uh, Eliphaz broaches some things that are hard. He implies some things that are awful. Bildad takes those things up and speaks of them as if they are so. And one of the things he does very quickly right off the bat is, is attack the notion that Job's children are right with the Lord and that, that they suffered innocently. In verse 4, if thy children have sinned against him and he cast them away from their transgression. Look, Job, they got what they deserved. You're not dead yet. You need to, to seek the Lord's mercy. And remember how awful this is for Job. One of the first things we're told about Job in chapter 1, verse 5, is that when they partied, and they didn't party in the sense of debauchery, it's when they had feasts together and they were wonderful, but even in the midst of, of great rejoicing, there's the, the tendency to forget God. And just in case they forgot God, every day after their parties, he would bring them together and they would have a service of reconciliation and to make sure that they bookended everything with the Lord. And that was his great fear. And that was his fear, not in the sense of trepidation, but that was his great reverence for God that everything that they did was in the, the context of thanksgiving and worship and reconciliation. And so it must really feel like a knife in his gut being twisted when Bildad says, you, you feared for, for, their, for their piety, you feared for their uh, 
state of grace. Uh, and, and look what the God did. He wiped them out because they were hypocrites. And you, Job, you're about to be wiped out because you're a hypocrite. Uh, he, 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 he sticks to that notion. How long wilt thou speak these things? How long shalt thy words of thy mouth be like strong wind? And, and he, he, Job never accuses God of injustice, at least not as yet. And, and yet, because he is maintaining his own integrity, uh, Bildad uh, immediately assumes that he is attacking God's justice. In verse 3, doth God pervert judgment, judgment? Or doth the Almighty to pervert justice? He uses the names of God that refer to God's strength. Almighty is obviously, but what we don't often see is that the word God in the Hebrew is the strong one. Um, and, and it's emphasized here in the Hebrew. Does the strong one pervert judgment? Does the Almighty pervert justice? The idea is that God is so mighty and powerful that he has no need to be corrupt. He has no need to be unjust. We see the powers of this world and, and their corruption, even when it's out there for the world to see, is nevertheless denied and trying to smooth over so that we can pretend like it doesn't exist. Uh, God does have no need for any of that because he, he has no need for being... Unjust. He, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. Uh, he speaks and it is so. How does he need to, uh, to, to do what is wrong and wicked and secret? It's beneath him. Wickedness is beneath him. Uh, this is why it's the glory of God that he cannot sin. It's not a limitation on him. It's actually a, a, an assertion of his power that he never has need to sin, that he never has need to compromise himself. But if Job is just in his claims, then must be he's charging God with injustice. And so he dismisses his children as judged. But not only that, in verses 4 through 5, as he dismisses his children as just, he also calls in questions his entire worship and piety. Those sacrifices that you offered, they look good, but obviously they weren't doing anything. If you would seek unto God betimes and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright... Surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Now it is possible that these words uh, can be read in a way that says, Look, Job, repent and he will be uh, merciful to you. And that's good if, if Bildad thinks he sinned. This is, this is a, a, a wonderful uh, counsel to repent and receive what the Lord can do for you because he can do all things. But this is not the way Bildad is using this. Bildad is speaking these truths in order to undermine Job's confidence. He's basically saying, if you, this was true of you, if you were pure, if you really were praying to the Lord, this stuff probably wouldn't have happened to you. And if it had happened to you, you wouldn't still be in this misery. God would have restored you. This is, by the way, one reason... Why at the end of the book of Job, not only does God appear in the whirlwind, not only does he condemn his friends and say that Job has to offer sacrifices for you, not only does he justify Job, Job spoke what was right concerning me, he also then goes forward to bless Job with more children and more wealth. Not that the, the second set of children replaces the first children in Job's heart but as a testimony to the world that what Job said was righteous, that God was on Job's side. The Lord 
allows himself to, to uh, well, he, he condescends to, to bless Job on the terms of Job's enemies so that he can shut their mouth. And, and, and not just vindicate Job with words, but to show in Job's life remaining uh, his vindication. But this is what he's doing. To get Job to repent, he warns him of the hypocrite's destruction. That's what we have in 8 through 22. And particularly in three images, in 11 through 13, the papyrus or the reed that grows up in the mire, uh, it, it flourishes because it's in the water and it's in the, the moisture, but it's not a very strong weed. And before even uh, the grasses are normally cut, it's already dried and gone. And that's just what the hypocrite and they forget God. It's like the seeds thrown on the hard ground and the ravens come and pick it up. They hardly acknowledge the Lord and the gospel and therefore it has no root in them and produces no fruit. Or even if it does, like the seed that's on the stony ground where the bedrock is right underneath the dirt, it might flourish up in joy, but just as soon as hard times come and it's not convenient to be with the Lord, their faith withers and dies and it shows itself to have never been fruitful and never to have been sincere. Just like that. Or in verses 14 and 15, that hope, that claim of piety of the hypocrite is a spider's web. It looks good. It's pretty. It's beautiful. Uh, but it doesn't take much to, to, to wisp it away. I mean, how many times have you walked through a spider's web? Right? For you, it's just, ah! But um, for the spider web, that's, you know, that's back to square one. The hurricane has come through and taken my house. It has that kind of foundation. Or as Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter seven, Matthew 7, 26 and 27, He who hears my words and does not take them to heart is like the man who builds his house upon the sand. And the rains came down and the waters rose and great was the destruction of that house. That their good only appears solid and lasting verses 16 through 19, he pictures a tree that grows up and its roots seem to be there permanently. It's grabbed around the rocks and the stones, not in a bad way, but in a solid way. It's going to take forever to root up this tree and it's branching and growing. And yet when the time comes and the gardener takes it out, it's like it's never there at all. Some other plant will be in its place and it will be remembered no more. the, the blessings of the hypocrite are ephemeral. And this is meant to, to press upon Job, to get right with the Lord. That yes, you lost things, but they were ephemeral because you were a hypocrite. But you have the chance to build back solidly and strongly. Uh, and this is all good material, but understand that it's misapplied to a man who is righteous and faithful this is his last bit of hope you know everything is going wrong in the world but at least i'm right with god even god appears to be angry but i know he's good to me and i know i've been right before him so he won't be unjust with me well now there's this accusation that is there and it's undermining his faith that's why satan is called satan by the way 
And this is one of the earliest books of the Bible in which he is named that. It means the accuser. And his great strength against the people of the Lord is his accusations of their own sin. As we've seen before. And Bildad reveals Satan's ways to shake your integrity. And there's several little things here that might be helpful for us to see because we see it in our lives. We see it also in a general sense. And, and there, some of you will be making applications of, of how our general uh, debauched culture attacks those of faith and of integrity, sometimes even those not of faith, but just largely associated with it. Uh, but understand that as, as relevant as that is, it is also personal to you, and these are the ways Satan will attack your integrity, and sometimes use even your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ to do so. Uh, one, note the dismissal of any need to reason out the truth. Uh, there's a certain impatience with Satan. And as you seek to bring forth your arguments and, and, and reasoning, as, as Job reasons in chapter 6 with Eliphaz, why is it such a sacrilege to desire to die? What good have I in front of me? I fulfilled my life's duties. Why are you quibbling at the misery of these words? Have you suffered like I've suffered? Uh, can't you let somebody give expression and vent to their emotions? These are all reasonable tasks. And Bildad puts them away. Sort of like certain claims of injustice that we have uh, right now. And, and, and those that would oppose it will, will not even deign to hear it. You are our enemy. We don't want to hear you. What point is there of getting at the truth of things? What's done is done. These are ways to, to shake your confidence and to shake your own sense of, of desire for vindication. And remember, vindication is something that the saints do desire. The martyrs under the stone, when the, when the fifth seal is broken, how long, O Lord, until you vindicate your people? And it's something that he does. The whole book of Revelation, as I mentioned in the Sunday night um, Bible studies, the whole book of Revelation uh, constantly refers back to that request of vindication. And it makes reference to the instance of the prayers of those saints that God will bring to judgment the world, not just because His own glory demands it, but because His own people desire it. He listens. And so Satan is very eager to have you to shut up and to say he doesn't listen and that there's no more point of reasoning it out. Note that he also uses good doctrine and faith against Job. Job, Job is complaining that he seems to be uh, suffering in, in excess of what is just. Well, then, does God pervert judgment? Does the Almighty pervert justice? How often do we see the world take, oftentimes, verses out of context and use them against the faithful? Note that he tries to dispirit Job by attacking his fears about his children. You were concerned about your children's piety and devotion to the Lord. A lot of good that did you. 
it seems counterintuitive. If he's calling into question the fear that they weren't faithful enough, wouldn't Job's response to be more faithful? But that's not really the human response in sin. Satan knows his business. And if he, if he can build up a, cert, a bit of uncertainty before God, if he can build it up that makes it look like God is irrational, if he can build it up that God is not worthy of the faith and trust that you put in him, then he knows that your solution isn't to be more faithful. It will just give up to curse God and die. And you have to be wary of that temptation. He's going to undermine your piety. You know, if, if you really were pure and upright, surely now he would await for thee. Uh, verse 6. Your problem isn't that, that, you're, that you're, you're too faithful. It's that you're not faithful enough. Uh, this is the, 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 the scam of the televangelist. If you only believe hard enough. And if it hasn't happened, well, that falls with you. Or maybe it was like I was being told to, to hope for something that's not promised by God. Oftentimes, the devil will tell you, as if he is an advocate for God, that you're not a good enough Christian, and that you're not uh, praying well, and that you're not faithful enough. And he misapplies those uh, the, the right ways of God, that, that, uh, the, the danger of the hypocrite, which we ought to take to heart. Because if you are a hypocrite, then you ought to listen to Bildad in a very different way than Job listens to Bildad. If you are a hypocrite, take Bildad's advice. Seek him now. Pray, repent, be reconciled. But if you are clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then the accusation that you're a whitewashed sepulcher, that you're a hypocrite, that you're beautiful on the outside but evil on the inside, is going to, to, to disturb you and distress you, and you ought to turn away from it because it is not true. The devil would love for God's people to think that God is against them. And so you have to persevere in Christ even as the devil is going to persevere in assaulting your faith and that, that peace you have with Jesus Christ. Because he's not going to quit. We read the Psalms and we see the distressed David. And by the end of the Psalm, he's right with God. He feels God is against him. But by the time he's opened his heart to the Lord, he's at peace. And we tend to forget that those are Psalms, that they're hymns, that they're prayers. And that the drama that sometimes in life is spread out over years is all brought into a succinct uh, paragraph or two of lyrical poetry. One of the beautiful things about Job is that it reminds us, the length of Job has a certain rhetorical effect upon us, that this vindication of God is not immediate. That when God is calling us to faithfulness, it requires perseverance. That when we follow Jesus Christ, it's not a, I stand and make one decision, and it's done over and done, and we are brought into the heavenly glories. It's not that way at all. That there will be setbacks. That there will be challenges. And oftentimes those challenges will be years. Certainly months, as it appears to be with Job. 
ages before you get a little bit of that water of refreshment. Now, he's not going to abandon you in that time, but he might not be seen by you in that time. And he's working his work in you, either as, as Job's friends to bring you to repentance, or as we often find even in the gospel, to refine what is there, to make it shine all the more beautiful, to bring our knowledge to greater depths of hope, as with Job, kind of hoping for the relief of death, and then becoming more and more certain that even death itself is not the end, and that it's not just life after death, but it is a real embodied life after death, that this will be brought back not just because of God's mercy, but that God will redeem him. All that comes out of Job's perseverance and wrestling and hardship. But he had to come to that through perseverance because the devil was persevering just as mightily. The devil goes about as a roaring lion as we read in 1 Peter. That he seeks to devour you and destroy you. He may be toppled and overthrown from his throne by the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's still out there. And perhaps his cornered nature makes him a little bit more dangerous in the short time. And a little bit more fierce before he is overdone. But he is there. So if you are forgetting God, hear the good counsel to repent of Bildad, but know that it is in Christ's hands that you stand one way or the other. And, and, and this is the Christian nature of, of what we're reading. You know, Job, as I mentioned, while he has some good supports, that tradition is a good tradition, his faith is a good faith, but he doesn't have the revelation of God. And he certainly doesn't have the revelation of God who is willing to take upon himself flesh, who is willing to take upon himself your misery, who is willing to not only take upon himself your misery, but the consequences of it, and take your punishment for it upon himself to deliver you from it. And to show you that through the cross and the grave, there is also the resurrection and the ascension. So we have more. We are better equipped than Job was. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17, uh, or 13, uh, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand, to persevere. And he lists all those graces that we have been given, and he lists the action that we ought to, you know, we, we think about the sword of faith, and we think about, or the sword of the word, and we think about the uh, breastplate of faith, and, and the helmet of salvation, and all these things, but we forget what the soldier is actually doing with all that, and that is prayer. Just as Job found his only hope in wrestling prayer with God. And, and if Job was certain, we have so much more to be certain about. We'll end with Paul giving advice in the same context. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? How do we know he's for us? He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. So when Satan comes to accuse you of not being worthy of Christ, tell him that my lamb, my sacrifice, was the very Son of God. And if that wasn't sufficient, what is? What can you demand of me that is more than was given on my behalf? The very Son of God, Jesus Christ. If God is for you, who can be against you? And so resist the devil when he seeks first to ruin you by implying that God is against you. It's not a call to pride. It's not a call to presumption. It's a call to perseverance in wrestling with Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask that you would give us the grace to stand in Him and to stand in Him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and...